Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Oil and gas, they're the big problem. That's what's come out of the World Economic Forum. Al Gore also, by the way, lost his you-know-what yesterday uh, at this forum, screaming about boiling the oceans. Yes, we're now boiling the oceans. You ready for this? Pay attention. Diaz, are you ready? I want to make sure. Uh, you got your, your finger on the dump button here because you never know what's going to come out of Al Gore's mouth. As he tells you, the boiling oceans are boiling. I'll turn it over to you. Thank you you very much, Antonia. Thank you for the work that you do and that you and your colleagues do here at the WEF. And thank you all very much for coming. Um, I'm going to zip through this presentation because uh, I always start by setting the context. This is the famous Earthrise picture from the first mission that went far enough out in space to see uh, the Earth floating hole. And this is the famous blue marble that was taken on the last Apollo mission. Uh, And uh, it sets the context for a discussion of how to track the emissions that are causing the climate crisis. I usually start with a lot of images that illustrate uh, all the horrible damage that's being done around the world. I've only selected uh, eight or eight or ten of them uh, here. I I used to go back, uh, you know, years ago there was this, decades ago there was this. (laughs) I I can do it just last week now uh, or yesterday and uh, actually in uh, California, this is an atmospheric river from Hawaii, uh, uh, two and a half thousand kilometers to uh, California. And this is the moisture that it contains. And the reason it contains that much moisture is that we're trapping as much extra heat with the greenhouse gases as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every 24 hours on the Earth. And 93% of it goes into the ocean, and it's boiling the oceans. That's a metaphorical phrase, but it's not far off. Uh, and the water vapor is increasing quite dramatically, and so these atmospheric rivers are much larger now, and you get these rain bombs. And for the last... Did, did you hear the, the, the very end there? Like, this dude's crazy. I'm going to back that up just a tad. Listen to this nut job. Every 24 hours on the earth. And 93% of it goes into the ocean. And it's boiling the oceans. That's a metaphorical phrase, but it's not far <laughs> off. Uh, and the water vapor is increasing quite dramatically. And so these atmospheric rivers are much larger now. So and in other words, we're all going to die. That's what he's saying. We're boiling the oceans, folks. That's where, metaphorically, of course, metaphor. Isn't this the guy that came out with his show, right? And and didn't he uh, like his movie? Did he got didn't he get an Oscar or some crap for that? Right, you know. And he said we're all going to die in ten years. Yeah, that didn't happen. That was like twenty years ago. This dude's an idiot. Uh, Al Gore also said the greatest threat to the global economy is. I want you to guess. This is how he makes a living now. What do you think? Climate change. Summer was the hottest in in Europe here in Switzerland. It was the hottest year 
uh, ever recorded in history, along with all these other countries, Germany, China, uh, etc. And speaking of China, the heat wave in China was the hottest, worst heat wave in recorded history. And the historians say that there is nothing even minimally comparable to what happened in China last year. And in addition to disrupting the water cycle with these atmospheric rivers and rain bombs, it sucks the moisture out of the land and you get droughts simultaneously. This is one of the rivers uh, in China. Uh, and uh, of, uh, many of the great rivers. So we're sucking the water out of the earth. Did you, right? Let's just be clear about this. Because he found a drought somewhere in the world. And then we're boiling the water in other parts of the earth. So literally, not metaphorically, but metaphorically, but not literally. And in 2022, it was the hottest year ever recorded here in Switzerland. And at least 27 other countries. Well, does that mean there was also some coldest years ever on, on file? I just got to ask. We don't put that up there. Shut up. Germany, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Belgium, the UK, Ireland, Croatia, Slovakia, Tanzania, Tanzania, Morocco, New Zealand, and China. I will never not say China like like Donald Trump. Like if there's if there's a legacy that Donald Trump will leave behind, it's no. It used to be you're fired, right? No, China. I just sometimes miss the way he said China. So he says in the Southwest United States, the last two decades have been the driest in at least twelve hundred years. Prove it. How do you know that? 1,200 years. They don't. They just make up crap and throw it on a screen at the World Economic Forum. Tigerish Euphrates. In the southwestern United States, uh, this is now being called the millennium uh, drought. Uh, And, of course, the food consequences are very dire. The war in Ukraine, the evil invasion of Ukraine by Russia has worsened these. But they were already there because of the climate crisis. So... Uh, We live on an earth that is uh, under siege, and it's costing uh, an increasing amount each year. In the last decade, $2.5 trillion, an increase of $1 trillion over the previous 10 years. In the Over the uh, $1 trillion. So did you hear, notice that all went back to the money, right? This is really all about the money. The extreme weather disasters cost the global economy $2.1 trillion in the last decade. And he says that's up, uh, you know, X number billion over the previous 10 years. Could it be because it costs more to fix stuff now than it did to cost to fix stuff in the 80s? Is there a chance that did, did they take that math and did they adjust it for inflation? Did they adjust it for new pricing? Of course not, right? Because this is what you call cooking the books. If there's anything that's boiling here, it's their stats. Trillion over the previous 10 years. In the annual report put out by the WEF here in Davos each year, the greatest threat to the global economy is the climate crisis. Well, there you so, go. There. All right. So you're not. That's it. When you don't sleep at night, no, it's because you're worrying about the global economy. That's what this really is all about. So you figured it out. That's it, America. He's done it. He's just 20 years later than he said he was going to be. And it's still not happening, but they're freaking you out. Coffee. If you're drinking coffee this morning, you're going to hell. Diaz, you're you're going to hell in a whole special way because you're on cup number two or three right now. Coffee is now a cause of death for the, not economy, not your personal health. It's a cause of death for climate change. This is coming from a new, very important report. Coffee's contribution to climate change is just the tip of the iceberg. A new study says... The researchers suggest that limiting your coffee intake is part of the solution to fight climate change. This coming out of tax dollars spent in Canada, 
Canada researchers analyzed coffee's contributions to climate change in a piece published yesterday suggested that people moderate their consumption of the popular drink as part of the solution. Researchers, with a bunch of names you don't care about, so I won't read them, wrote an analysis published in the conversation that pollution from preparing coffee was just, quote, the tip of the iceberg. They demand that you limit your contribution to climate change, and that requires you to adapt a diet. And that diet, coffee is no exception. Choosing a mod of coffee preparation that uh, emits less GHGs, that's greenhouse gases, and moderating your consumption are part of the solution. This is not a joke because the researcher said that when you drink coffee, you also take um, larger moments on the potty. And your greenhouse gas emissions from said potty is hurting the environment. That's it. So the study also found that using coffee pods is another major factor that is killing the environment. Diaz just showed me his styrofoam comp. You are going to coffee hell. The study also found that using coffee pods to brew coffee contributed less to the carbon footprint than brewing coffee with a traditional filter. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, you're not in the woods yet. However, the plastic around the pod actually does more damage. So you're screwed again. Our analysis clearly shows that traditional filter coffee has the highest carbon footprint, mainly because a greater quantity of coffee powder is used to produce the amount of coffee. This process also consumes more electricity to heat the water and keep it warm. The researchers demand that that the world change right now. The researchers compared brewing with coffee pods, brewing coffee to traditional way a coffee maker brewing coffee with a French press and using instant coffee would have on the environment. By the way, if you just want to know the moment in your life where you're a failure, if your job had anything to do with this research, you're a failure. Like, I can't imagine. There's certain people I am not. When I retire from this job, I'm going to do stand-up, and this is going to be in there. I, 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 I cannot be friends with stupid people. And this is the new list. If your life work as a researcher, as a doctor, as a, you, you spent all these years in school, and I ask you, what do you do? And you go, oh, I compare the coffee pods, brewing coffee, traditional ways, which a coffee maker, brewing coffee with a French press and using instant coffee affect the environment and the more or less electricity to heat the water and keep it warm. And the process also consumes the byproduct and the highest carbon footprint, mainly because a greater quality of coffee powder is used to produce the amount of coffee. We're not compatible. You're a failure in my book. Our analysis clearly shows that traditional filter coffee has the highest carbon footprint. They found the instant coffee was, ready for this, the most environmentally sound. My question is, how did... Oh, I, I'm trying to think how I can PC say this. Okay, so did they compare all the human gas emissions from each form of coffee? Because if they're going to tell you that coffee in general is making you have too much greenhouse gas coming out of your self, then did they analyze said greenhouse gases with brewed coffee, pod coffee, instant coffee, cold brew coffee? I If you're really going to go all in on the research, then you should have that in the report, which we do not see. Diaz says he read the whole report and it was not in there. All right. Well, at least you did your research for once. Coffee production also contributes more to contributing to total emissions than coffee preparation, according to the analysis. Quote, this mechanism 
irrigation and use of nitrous oxide emitting fertilizers, the production of which requires large quantities of natural gas, greatly contributed to coffee's carbon footprint, the researcher said. So if you could stop drinking coffee altogether, that actually is what they're recommending now for the environment. The researchers also added that the convenience of coffee pods might lead people to double their coffee consumption, which they say is damning for the environment. And they said, clearly, this is a redundance factor here that should disappear. The study found that drinking one or two cups of coffee a day may benefit your health, but it will destroy the world. The American College of Cardiology found in a recent study released in March of last year that coffee was associated with a reduced risk of heart disease and dangerous heart rhythms. But who cares? Because you got to stop your greenhouse gas or gas or consumption of said coffee for gas. Yeah, you're all terrible people if you're drinking coffee right now. Also, uh, we're going to call this utter madness. You're going to get the joke. You ready for this? Diaz is laughing already. As we've seen a farmer or others come to North is Carolina now speaking out. And if you'll dump that, Diaz, stupid audio me. here. Sorry, coming through. And that goes right to the heart. There we go. Now you can dump it. Um, there is a farmer who is now speaking out. And a farmer wants you to know that you need to start putting diapers on your cows to contain the methane emissions. Yes, this is a real thing. From global warming. Take a listen. They're being told they have to sabotage their own operations or else they're destroying the planet and they'll be crushed by BlackRock. Here's the latest example. The French dairy giant Danone says it plans to put masks and diapers on cows to trap their flatulence and burps to reduce methane emissions. So is this some kind of French postmodern play on global warming theology? Is this absurdism at work or are they being serious? We're not sure. We thought we'd check with an actual farmer about whether it'll work. Stephanie Nash is a farmer in the state of Tennessee. She joins us to assess. Stephanie, um, you're a dairy farmer. You've got a lot of cows behind you. Um, do you think this would actually work? Would you do it to your cows? Well, Tucker, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to allow my cows to wear a mask. Um, I'll show yes. you right now what we're dealing with right now. We tried to put one on. So she's not having it. She is struggling no. to oh. breathe. And, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make sense to put a mask on a cow. So what you're saying is that cows have more self-respect than most people. Can, can we just stop for a second and just think about where we are in America today that we are actually having to have debates? And she said it just doesn't. And someone had to say it. We have to go lie to a dairy cow person and we've got to ask the dairy cow person like, hey, do you think that it's do you think that it's a good idea to to put masks on cows? No, it just doesn't make sense to put masks on, on cows. That's not something we should probably do here. It's probably a bad idea. We believe that this is going to make the cow struggle to breathe and there's also like i just have a question if the methane gas comes out and hits said mask then what happens listen Ow. so what you're saying is that cows have more self-respect than most people in midtown manhattan on lunch break like they're just not going to be masked <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean you know i think it's crazy i'm a big advocate for agriculture and what we do on our dairy farm not only are we doing big things to cut emissions we have ruminants on our farm that can digest byproducts. A good example is we feed our cows soybean meal. 
that comes from soy oil production. And you have to ask yourself, millions of tons per year, if we don't have cows to digest that byproduct, it has to go somewhere. It has to go to a landfill. It has to go on, um, you know, into a waste management. Yes. And that's going to be very harmful. That's going to leave an imprint, um, you know, for our, our country and gas is going into our environment. Well, speaking of byproducts, and I don't want to get too specific here because this is a family show, but you're very familiar with cows. The idea of putting a diaper on a cow, given the daily production of a cow, uh, how, I mean, is that feasible? How big would the diaper be? Is this a joke? I mean, could you do that? Would you do that? Um, yeah, I think these people have gone to Looney Town. There's no possible way that I'm going to put a diaper on my cow. She has to be able to walk around, lay down, eat, drink water. And that's yep. going to make it impossible for her to be comfortable as a cow. You know, our animals are under the best stewardship and we want them to be as comfortable as possible. And telling me how to do my job is not the way to, you know, eliminate emissions. We have to be smart about this. We have to listen to the farmer rancher and what is best for our animals. Not if I you're a Davos, by the way. If you're a Davos, they want to actually put on your all cows in the world diapers now to save the environment. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details so remember that dude named Medvedev who Al Gore leaned over to I'm sorry that was Barack Obama leaned over was like hey man once I win an election tell your dude Putin over there I'm gonna have more flexibility to do some stuff with him tell him to calm down don't don't blow anything up remember that conversation yeah did they impeach him over that right no no of course not because that was all good Vladimir Putin's ally he's back he's now the deputy chair of Russia's security council Medvedev he gave an interview outside of Russia, and it wasn't looking good for the rest of the world. Former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev, an ally of the Kremlin, Chief Vladimir Putin, has now come out in a very calm. I love how they do this. Like, I'd like to be. I'd like to be interviewed today. Okay, sure, we'll get you somebody that's a, you know, wants to chat with you. Okay, great. What would you like to say? I just want you to know we're probably going to nuke you all. That's pretty much what the interview was. He warned. All of NATO, okay, every country in NATO, that the defeat of Russia in Ukraine more than likely will trigger a nuclear war. So I guess are we supposed to, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the logic here for Putin, all right? Is he saying stay out of it or is he saying that you have to join the Russians in killing the Ukrainians and Zelensky because if you don't, I'm probably going to kill all of you. Like silence, I kill you, right? What, what is it here? Like, I, I still can't figure out what he's asking for. So this is a striking similar tone of what he described as an, a, 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 an anxious time in the country. The head of the Russian Orthodox Church said, quote, trying to destroy Russia would mean the end of the world. And that's the Orthodox Church saying that. So, I mean, I know they're controlled by Russia, but you, you got to understand the rhetoric here is changing very quickly. That's probably the best way I can describe this. Like, this is not what you want to hear. Russia, since they invaded Ukraine, 
Medvedev has repeatedly raised the threat of a nuclear apocalypse, but his admission now of the possibility of a Russia defeat indicates the level of Moscow's concern over increased Western weapons deliveries to Ukraine. The defeat, quote, of a nuclear power in a conventional war may trigger a nuclear war. He reiterated, just to make sure you understood, like he's not screwing around. We lose, you all die. This is a hostage situation for the world. Medvedev serves as the deputy chairman of Putin's powerful security council. He also said in a post on Telegram, nuclear powers have never lost major conflicts on which their fate depends. Medvedev said NATO and other defense leaders due to meet at an air base in Germany on Friday will talk about strategy and support for the West's attempts to defeat Russia and Ukraine should think about the risks of their policy. Russia and the United States, by far the largest nuclear powers, hold around 90% of the world's nuclear warheads. He reminded the world. Putin in the, is the ultimate decision maker on the use of nuclear weapons. Asked if Medvedev's remarks signified that Russia was escalating the crisis to a new level, Kremlin spokesman said, no, it absolutely does not mean that. Oh, okay, that makes me feel better. He said Medvedev's remarks were in full accordance with Russia's nuclear doctrine, which allows for a nuclear strike after aggression against the Russian Federation with conventional weapons when the very existence of the state is threatened. While NATO, by the way, that's a brilliant use of nuclear weapons if you're Russia. Like, it's like, look, if we lose, we kill you. If you don't give us what we want, we kill you. And if you shoot at us with a gun, we kill you. And if we don't kill you with our normal weapons and our military, we just nuke you. In other words, if we can't have Ukraine, no one can. Asked if Medvedev's remarks signified a new policy, they also said no. Now, these remarks were in full accordance with Russia's nuclear doctrine, he said again. NATO, by the way, has conventional military superiority over Russia when it comes to nuclear weapons. Russia has nuclear superiority over over the alliance in Europe. So I'll just nuke anywhere I want to that is that is in a place where I can't nuke you. Putin cast Russia's special military operation in Ukraine as an existential battle with an aggressive and arrogant West. And I said that Russia will use all available means to protect itself and its people, calling this a, quote, alarming time. Now, Russia's uh, one year anniversary is coming up of this military conflict. It's amazing how fast this happens. Russia invaded on the 24th of, in, in Ukraine. It's now triggered one of the deadliest European conflicts since World War II, to put it in perspective, and the biggest confrontation between Moscow and the West since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. It's almost like Putin was bored one day. He's like, all right, I, I want to battle. I am bored. I'm dying. I'm getting old. I want to put the USSR back together. I really want a new legacy here, and this is how I'm going to do it. Let's go blow some you-know-what up. The United States and its allies have condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and we are now sending tanks to Ukraine, because this couldn't get us into World War III. They vowed to fight until the last Russian soldier is ejected from the territory. The head of the Russian Orthodox Church said in a sermon on Sunday, we pray to the Lord, ready for this, that he brings the madman to reason. He's not talking about Putin, by the way. He's talking about us. And help them understand that any desire to destroy Russia will mean the end of the world. It's looking promising right now, folks. But don't worry. We, we're, hey, by the way, in our foreign policy, if you want to know we got this, we got this. Because we got Brittany Griner back in the biggest trade in NBA history. So there's that. 
Today is an alarming time. State news agency RIA quoted him as saying, but we believe the Lord will not leave Russia's land. Not backing down is also what Medvedev said when talking about this. Since a grim New Year's Eve message describing the West as Russia's true enemy in the war on Ukraine, Putin has sent several signals that Russia will not back down. He has dispatched hypersonic missiles to the Atlantic and appointed his top general to run the war. Putin said on Wednesday that Russia's powerful military industrial complex was ramping up production and was one of the main reasons why his country would prevail in Ukraine. Washington has not detailed in public what it would do if Putin ordered and it would be the first use of nuclear weapons in war since the United States dropped the atomic bomb attacks on Japanese cities in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, to put it in perspective. One other thing here, when they said they're ramping up production. So there is, and I know way more now than ever uh, I ever could have imagined um, about ammo. And there is a, 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 I've broadcast in their shot show. It's the largest, um, if you ever watch War Dogs, in that movie, they went to Vegas to go try to find millions and millions of rounds of ammo in that deal that they were doing. It's a great movie. You should watch it. It's really interesting and intriguing. It's a true story. And I've got a lot of friends out there this week. And I went last year, but I don't usually go every single year. And when you own a gun store, this is where you go to see what's new, everything else. Well, all of them have been texting me saying it's very interesting to see what's happening in the ammo industry all of a sudden because one, there's embargoes and there's a lot of ammo that comes out of Russia. And Russia ammo, people are there trying to make deals around the world. Like they don't care about U.S. sanctions. They, I mean, they don't. They fly into America. They connect with different people. And they said that all the Russian ammo in the world now has just disappeared, which does lend weight to what Putin said about Russia's powerful military industry complexes is ramping up production and they're holding all of it back. Now, usually they sell a ton of ammo to the world. Uh, there's a lot of Russian-made ammo that hits the markets, and, and it's been in stores. You probably shot Russian ammo and didn't even know it if you shot guns before. You may not like to hear that, but it's the truth because it's something they produce, and they produce it well, and they produce a lot. They, they produce a lot of AK ammo, for example. And they said it's completely dried up in the, in the international market, and that means that Putin is clearly hoarding this stuff, thinking he's going to be in some World War III. That concerns me. Now, Washington, by the way, has not detailed in public what it would do if Putin ordered a nuclear strike. The U.S. Central Intelligence Agency director has been too busy silencing right conservatives on Twitter to really be worrying about Putin. They have not said anything, but they did caution Putin's spy chief in November about the consequences of any use of nuclear weapons by Russia. I, the question is, do you really believe that America is going to go to World War III with Russia if they use a nuclear weapon in Ukraine? That's and, and do you think the EU or NATO or anybody else is going to stand up to Russia and get to World War III? That's where Putin could actually have a nuclear strike, and there's no one man enough to say no. That scares. That's the scariest scenario for me. Now, to put it in perspective quickly, Russia has 5,977 nuclear warheads. The U.S. has less than that. We have 5,428. China has 350, and France has 290, and the United Kingdom has 225 according to the Federation of American Scientists. Medvedev, who's 57, who once presided himself as a reformer, who was ready to work with the United States to liberate Russia, has recast himself since the war as the most publicly hawkish member of Putin's circle, saying, let's nuke everybody. He said that the nuclear risk of the Ukraine crisis should be obvious to any Western politicians 
who had preser- preserved at least some traces of intelligence, quote unquote. I see. This is where I know, like, I'm like, I'm too American. Like, if you said, go into a room with Vladimir Putin and Medvedev, and you get to pick another dude, and y'all just fight to the death, I feel like I would kill them just out of pure rage. Like, these guys are madmen that are going to get the world into an actual, cult, like, like World War Three, if we're not smart, and there's too many stupid leaders in the UK area, Europe, who one is oil and gas, so they're not standing up to this madman. This is exactly what happened when people didn't stand up to Hitler. This is how it went down. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Bix, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. FBI's uh, head dude, Ray, Christopher Ray, uh, is talking now as we speak about Russia. He was speaking at um, the World Economic Forum, and he had this to say about Russian botnet farms. Not worried about nuclear war, worried about their computers and their bots who are Saying things on the that then their internet, you know that Al Gore. It is interesting that Al Gore created the internet, of course, and now he's telling us that we're all going to die from global warming. Like this dude is is smart. Well, you should probably listen to him, right? Because remember, Al Gore created the internet. People that are younger right now, like you know what's happening, they're googling who is Al Gore, and did Al Gore invent the internet? No, he did not, and he was a former president under Bill Clinton. I don't know. Can you say that? That's probably, I probably need to clarify that. He wasn't technically under Bill Clinton. Uh, he was he was the vice president to Bill Clinton. You got to clarify when you're dealing with Bill Clinton now. Here's the FBI director. He's, he wants you to know he's a serious guy with a serious job. So broadening out that infrastructure discussion, you know, Ukraine has been a kind of a Russian testing ground for cyber attacks on infrastructure since long before this war. And we saw times when large parts or chunks of the Ukrainian power grid were taken out by Russian cyber attack. And that raised concerns of the same thing happening in other countries. Um, so given what Jake is saying about how we're, we, are, we are learning about infrastructure vulnerability, but also about resilience and how to protect it better in, as a result of this war, thinking about the fact that more and more infrastructure control systems are computerized, are, are accessible remotely, therefore vulnerable to cyber attack, thinking about the fact that autonomous vehicles and drones of one kind or another being used in inspections or being used for monitoring create a further attack surface potentially for cybersecurity. So when you, when you think of all of those things together, Director, does it make you feel like U.S. infrastructure specifically uh, or infrastructure in general is becoming more vulnerable or less vulnerable? Are we getting better at anticipating these threats or are they multiplying? And how do we think about ensuring that security in the future? By the way, if you ever want to know if people um, love hearing themselves talk while they're on a panel, that guy right there just gets an award. Let me, let me, let me, let me ask you a question, sir. It's going to take me four to five minutes to ask you said question because I want to make sure I can put this on social media Afterwards, the brilliance of my question to you, Mr. Ray. That's what you just heard. So now here's Ray's answer. Yes. 
<laughs> no, no, I, mean, I love it. I think- yes, he just goes, yes, yes. And the guy's like, he looks like a moron, by the way, on the world economic stage. He's like, uh, okay, I look stupid. But he'll laugh at himself and then we'll continue. On the one hand, the, the attack surface, uh, as you say, is, is significantly broadening. The range of attack methods is significantly increasing, both in, in quantity and quality. Uh, on the other hand, I think the, uh, the sophistication of the private sector is, is improving and, and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, uh, made significant strides. We are focused, uh, you know, looking at, uh, at cyber attacks, looking at what's happening in the Ukraine. We did see, uh, as the conflict uh, erupted, uh, an increased effort by the Russian intelligence services, which have been uh, conducting cyber, uh, malicious cyber activity against U.S. infrastructure for years. Uh, but we were increasingly concerned that the surveillance activity, the scanning, the research, all the preparatory activity that um, could be one thing, could be uh, an indication of something more serious. Uh, and so the name of the game in terms of cyber defense from our perspective is to try to uh, to get, to use a, a, a terrorism analogy, further left of boom. And that's why, for example, we conducted a, a significant technical operation against a, uh, uh, a GRU uh, botnet um, in the early months of the conflict uh, because we didn't want to wait around to find out what they were up to and what their ultimate intentions were. You know, when you talk about uh, autonomous vehicles, it's obviously something that we're excited about, just like everybody. Uh, but there are harms that we have to guard against that are more than just the obvious. Um, one of them is uh, the danger that there could be ways to confuse or um, uh, distort the algorithms to cause physical harm. So I'm thinking about a story I heard not that long ago about the researchers who were able to trick a self-driving car's uh, algorithm by essentially putting a piece of black tape over a stop sign and cause the car to accelerate right. by 50 miles an hour or something. You know, it's a simple example, but it's, it shows uh, kind of some of the harms we have to guard against. And then a different kind of harm that we were concerned about um, is the enormous amount of data that uh, autonomous vehicles, for example, aggregate. And anytime you aggregate lots and lots of, of sensitive data, it makes a very tempting target. So thinking of electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, as an attack surface of their own, uh, uh, not just in terms of destructive ability, but in terms of the data that it aggregates and, and the harms that could come from that is something that is very much on our mind. Yeah. Your, your, your tax dollars went to send... FBI Director Ray to to Davos to talk about these cars. That's what he just did. Your tax dollars flew him on a private, probably G5 jet to Davos. The name of the game in terms of cyber defense from our perspective is to try to get to, uh, to use a terrorism analogy further left a boom. And that's why, for example, we conducted a significant technical operation against the GRU botnet in the early months of the conflict because we didn't want to wait around to find out what they were up to and what their ultimate intentions were. And then he says, but let's get back to these autonomous vehicles because that's what we really need to talk about. Can you imagine if you're Vladimir Putin, Medvedev, and you're watching the FBI director and this is what he says he's focused on? 
right? I mean, I mean, this is it, right? This is this is what he's really focused on. If you vote for these people, you're an idiot. Make sure you share a podcast. Please write a five star review. Hit that subscribe or auto download button, and I will see you back here tomorrow. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.